I think it's exciting to get up every day and try to make a real big impact. And I think that you have to be a certain amount of optimist for that and to keep pushing forward. And I think of where we are 10 years previously to where we are now, we've made a lot of progress. But I'm also a realist too. So I don't expect everyone just to do things because it's good. You know, I mean, I think what we offer is a no-brainer, but there's a lot of business as usual out there. And so I think it's, you know, that's just the reality. So try to balance that. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. Every week, I invite you to care more so that together we can all create a better world. Today, I'm going to be joined by Seth Suzuki. He is an award-winning entrepreneur and inventor who has spent 15 years of his experience working in consumer products, marketing solutions, and sustainability. He is also the co-founder of Cool Perks, and he hosts a podcast called Scaling Sustainability. Seth founded Cool Perks as the first climate-neutral merchandising company in the world. After years of working in the promotional product industry, he started the company with the goal of transforming the field of merchandising from a toxic environmental polluter to a conscious connector of people and values. Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I want to talk for a minute about merchandising. Why should we care about what storefronts and displays even really look like? Oh boy, that's a great question. I mean, I think of right now, the largest probably issue of our time and possibly all of humanity's time in our civilization is really the climate crisis. And, you know, if you start breaking down where all of these emissions are coming from, and really additionally beyond that, the damage we're doing to this planet it all comes from making things. And it's the economy and it's capitalism and it can be a powerful force for good. But at the end of the day, every single product you see in every single store that you purchase has a carbon externalities, negative externalities, carbon footprint associated with it. So it all matters very much. Well, you know, I'm heading to Expo East this week. It's the last weekend of September. And it's one of the largest trade shows in the natural products industry. Now, they've made several steps over the course of the last few years to make it more eco-friendly. But trade shows, again, are one of the most wasteful industries that there really is. So I wonder what your thoughts are specifically when it comes to those big events and showcasing or wanting to showcase the companies you work with or even just being attracted to the brands that have this kind of a showing. What would you advise people to look for if they're really concerned with being more eco-friendly in a space like that? Yeah, well, the industry is crazy. And I I say it's (laughs) it's crazy like that. And the reason you're probably asking me this question is because we've all walked by these tables and we're like, I don't want that. And they're trying to give it to you. You know, the promotional products industry is 79% of everything that's sold and given away ends up in a landfill almost immediately. So Mm. really, it's just a very wasteful industry. And so if you're really eco-conscious, you know, (laughs) first, just giving away things that people want and will keep, that may mean spending less, that may mean giving away nothing at all. We've even advised clients of ours to not give anything out if their budget doesn't allow for it and instead spend that on their employees. You know, the people on the floor that represent their brand, 
having them have a good night's sleep and a good experience is going to reflect better on that company than just giving away any sort of cheap swag that everyone already has a ton of and doesn't need more of. Yeah. Well, I think you're pointing to the massive waste of the industry. Like how many squeeze balls do I possibly need or pens or heck, even the USB sticks that they like to give out in your kiss. It's, I'm not even really using these things anymore. So can we just retire them, please? I think so much should be retired. It's one of those things. When you think about it, what they're really trying to do is build relationships with stakeholders. This could be attracting talent or employee retention or even like your customers. And so you're trying to build on a brand. And when you're giving things out that people don't want, you're really damaging the stakeholder relationship versus adding to it. So I would like to see a lot less given out, honestly, even though that's our business. <laughs> right. <laughs> So talk to me about what Cool Perks specifically does, because you are at this intersection. You're working to essentially build smarter plans for companies. So I think it makes sense for us to learn a little bit more about that and perhaps even, I don't know, walk us through an example so we can better understand what it is that you do. Sure. I think that's great. So I started in promotional products in 2007, so it's been quite a while now. And it wasn't until much later when I matured a little bit and had a daughter and started really thinking about it. You know, I think you mentioned you're going to these events and everyone's kind of seen the stuff that they don't want. And so there was a time at which we just kind of looked at, at the industry as a whole and decided that we needed to do it better. And my wife joined me and we started Cool Perks to essentially gift something better and just do it differently. We're really swimming upstream here the opposite way. I mean, any sort of industry, I feel like that has an 80% waste rate you have a bunch of problems within it, right? And so this is just really highly commoditized. It's very wasteful. And so really our mission is to end promotional waste. And so we've tried to build what well, we have. We've built a much more sustainable, transparent and impact focused and driven supply chain so that we can really offer our corporate clients better options and help them reach their own sustainability goals while building their stakeholder relationships and essentially helping them keep and bring more value to their brand, which we think is really important. Now, I know that we didn't intro you with a specific thing because I don't like to lead with topics like Amazon, but in your bio that you'd sent to me for review, I saw that you work with Amazon and Google, big tech companies. And so I was trying to understand what specifically you might do for them and understand how you're essentially helping them leave a smaller carbon footprint and even bring it forward so that it's part of a conversation that we're having. Thank you. That's a really great question. Backing up, you know, one of the things I realized when I we started thinking about how we can make the greatest impact, this is really a unique vehicle. I feel like that we have this platform to be able to make a really large impact with large corporations. Their spend is huge. Their reach is huge. And a lot of times, it's not that they don't know better, but there's just a lot of different people inside of the organizations that are making decisions. And it's really hard to integrate sustainability and impact throughout an organization and a culture. So for instance, we just recently worked with Google and we helped build what well, we curated and built their store for their back to the office for all their thousands. I don't know how many I'm allowed to say, but anyway, many thousands of employees in Washington state and coming back. And so we built a store and then we curated a gift selection of really meaningful impact focused gifts from suppliers that are have localized supply chains from diverse ownership in these companies and really building 
gifts and products that are designed to last. And then also by doing it this way and putting together these programs for these large clients, like people that don't want this stuff don't have to get it. And that's much better for the environment. And really, I think it's much appreciated. There's a lot of things I don't want and please don't send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I recall days of working exhibitions at different trade shows where it almost felt like you had an allotment of shirts that you just had to put in people's hands, right? Like you yeah. couldn't come home with them. You didn't want to come home with them because you didn't want to have to pack it up at the end of the show. And so that mindset in itself, I think, ultimately creates waste. It creates waste on the part of the exhibitors, pushing things out that people don't necessarily want or need or giving an excess when it's not necessarily appreciated. It doesn't necessarily do what you want it to do for your brand. And I know that you do work specifically in this arena of climate cost. So I was hoping you could talk to us about what a climate cost index really is, how was it developed, and what can we learn from it? Thank you. This is kind of my baby. So it was a few years ago, and we're trying to do better. And one of the things, you know, there's all these net zero pledges being made, and everyone's talking about this. And I thought, well, we need to do this. So we went off to get certification. And quickly, I realized that the accounting right now in carbon is really scattered. So I think it's really easy for people to account for the electricity they use, but the reality is, and I don't know how nuanced we want to get, but there's this section of carbon emissions called scope three. And it's basically everything that's not driving, flying, or electricity. And so it's in all the products you use, and it generally makes up 70% of most companies' carbon. So it's really a huge issue. So we went to get our certification, no problem, but no one asked us, no one about the products we sell. No one wants to know. And so what we started off is by planting trees. And I thought that that was meaningful in the beginning. And then upon further <laughs> realizations, I realized that there wasn't any transparency in there and we really didn't know what we were doing. So we kind of took a twofold approach. The first thing we had to do is in order to manage carbon, we had to measure it. And we went out looking to see what, how much carbon is in each of these products. And it turns out, that information just doesn't really exist. There's no database for it. And so that was the first part of our large challenge. And so that was how we ended up creating climate cost. It is carbon index for consumer products. It includes everything from what's called cradle to gate. So all the way till when it has been produced and delivered to the store, transportation and end of life. Because if it just ends up in the landfill, you're not really accounting for all of it. So when we created this whole index based on consumer product categories. We got as refined as we could and as detailed as we could. And then we were running, I mean, a lot of life cycle assessments on all of these products to figure this out. And essentially, we created a proprietary index that we could use to actually calculate and manage our own carbon. And then we built on that. So part of it, we found a great partner out of Nashville, Tennessee called Clearloop. And our first investment was in 2020. We flew out to a rural area in Tennessee. And we invested in a solar regenerative solar project there where essentially they're reclaiming carbon by essentially pushing off fossil fuel based carbon in the dirtiest parts of the grid. So I think I'm kind of just rambling here, but I can tell you that what we've been doing for now almost two years is we've been measuring the carbon worst case scenario for every product we sold. And we've been on the back end of that reclaiming the carbon from every single product. And it's just one of those things where we're all going to need to do this at some point. We need to know the carbon that's in everything. 
and in order to get it to zero. And so this was our first step in doing it. So when I ask for a specific example, why don't we just take what one of your top selling items is and look to what its carbon cost is and then how you recapture it at the end? Because that, I think, first of all, it inspires my curiosity. I want to know. And I think that my audience will as well. Sure. Absolutely. So let's do a backpack. So we carry a backpack from a really amazing vendor that reclaims plastic from oceans and they create this really amazing recycled canvas and they make this amazing backpack. And what we have to do is we have to look at this backpack and I can tell you that backpacks of this material and makeup generally, and what we're doing is we're looking at worst case scenario, we're probably about 40 kilograms of carbon per backpack. Now this exact vendor is a little bit less and that 40 kilograms includes everything and all the way until we deliver this. So what we would do is, first of all, it starts by making sure that we're giving people a product that they want. So we would go ahead and we propose this backpack and the company buys a bunch of backpacks. We sold, I think, over a thousand of these last year. And so we end up looking at how much carbon is in all of that. And we have a number at the end of the day. And I think it's a pretty simple thing. Was it 40, 40,000? Let's say 40,000 kilograms. So that's it's 40 metric tons. And so on the back end, we will then invest in a regenerative solar project that will offset that much carbon. And essentially it is looking at the dirtiest parts of the US grid and where they're running like peaker plants from natural gas and coal. And we're building solar projects right in the middle there. And essentially it's pushing them offline. It's making them obsolete. And then we can go ahead and it's 100% transparent. We can track it and all of our clients, I mean, Frankly, they can go visit this and see the sheep roaming the solar fields and their regenerative projects. So again, always trying to reduce our carbon footprint first, and that may mean buying nothing. But the reality is there's very few products out there that have no carbon in them. Mm -hmm. So whatever is left, we're going to go ahead and make sure that we have offset it with what we understand to be the most transparent and important way to offset that we found. Now, when I think about this big picture, I think uh, somebody who doesn't necessarily know how these calculations are driven and who might have a basic understanding of life sciences would say, oh, you're talking about how many carbon molecules are in the backpack itself. But I think what you're talking about is hmm. the expense of the carbon equivalent of emissions that have gone into the atmosphere to create it. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. We're not talking about the actual physical weight or molecules. I think that's important. I think it's all the externalities and carbon externalities from the supply chain. So we could look upstream. So everywhere from extraction of the raw materials to there's transportation to production, then there's production, assembly, there's shipping. And so every step along the way, like if you have a backpack, let's say this is made in China and maybe a really rural area that's powered 100% by coal, your carbon intensity is going to be a lot more. So even though that backpack may only weigh so much, it has used countless amounts and pounds or kilograms of carbon that's gone into the atmosphere as they're trying to make this material or sew this material or ship this material. And so this is really what an LCA or life cycle assessment is. And the reality is the reason we had to create climate costs is because it's hard. <laughs> it's really not easy. Every single product category, every single place, every single manufacturer has a different supply chain. They all have different energy grids. It's really complicated. And like, this is a reason we couldn't just find it. And this is the reason why we decided to take a category approach 
and my philosophy is always assume the worst, prove otherwise. I we would love all of our suppliers to show up and be like, hey, here's our backpack. Here's exactly where it came from. Here's how they were powered. But the reality is, is we're just not there yet. We're not even close. But yeah, this is all of what we call embodied carbon. So all of the carbon that was used in making that backpack that is now kind of associated with it. Well, I have to say, you know, in preparation for going to this big trade show, understanding I was going to do most of my time on my feet, walking the floor, going from the hotel to the trade show floor and back again, all of that. I'm planning to just walk it, right? So I bought myself a pair of sneakers that probably don't go with any of the outfits that I will wear simply because <laughs> they actually have advertised on the tongue of the shoe the carbon equivalent waste that was created in their production. And it's a partnership from Adidas and Allbirds, right? They claim 2.9 kilos, which sounds really, really low to me. But I mean, maybe that's just the skeptic, right? Going, well, are you really including everything? And is it possible to really create a sneaker set for only this much? And gee, I wonder then what my standard running shoes, what the carbon cost of those might be. So the question I have that relates to this is simply at what point do we expect to see mandatory labeling or even just common labeling on these sorts of things so that we can make better decisions as consumers that are at least more mindful of what we're supporting with the spend of our dollars? Great question. Thought about it a lot. <laughs> well, if um, you had your druthers, I'm sure it would be much sooner. Yeah, we're not going to be able to reach any of the targets we have for 2030, 2050, none of this reality-wise without a carbon tax at some point. We're going to have to pay for the carbon that we've ignored for so long. So that's a little bit of a political issue and a legislation issue. But I would say that the movement is so strong now. And I mean, really, this is the biggest economic opportunity to this transition of our lifetimes. I think that within five years, it's five at the very latest 10 years, it'll be commonplace. Just the way we look at nutrition now, carbon will be will be regulated. But even beforehand, um, just like with your Adidas and your Allbirds shoe right there, it's starting to mean something. And, you know, I think as everyone becomes more aware, it used to be just one of those things where climate change was something that people talked about and you heard about, and now everyone's feeling it. And so with that, I really think it's going to become that pressure. And I think we'll start seeing it within the next decade, hopefully a half a decade. Well, I'm very hopeful and also remain skeptical for the simple reason that I see things like Lego issue a press release that they're going to start producing their Legos out of a hemp plastic or a more sustainable plastic of some sort. And then years go by and nothing happens. Or in the case of Adidas with that partnership with Allbirds, it was one shoe that is no longer available on their site that I then had to find from a seller in my state, at least as close to home as possible for me on eBay to get the shoe. It's again, it's a one-off. It's an effort to get a little press, get a little marketing, and then it's back to business as usual. And so my concern is that, you know, there may be some other economic pressures that take part as well. When we think about things like, for instance, proposals to actually make GMOs mandatory labeling and they get shuttled under the carpet. And the answer is no, because Big food doesn't like having to label their products as containing GMOs. So I'm hopeful. It would be nice to see it in five years, maybe 10. <laughs> but man, yeah. oh man, it feels uh, like we go two steps forward and one step back and then two steps back and then one step forward and we're back exactly where we started. 
Yeah, I really feel you there. I think it's exciting to get up every day and try to make a real big impact. And I think that you have to be a certain amount of optimist for that and to keep pushing forward. And I think of where we are 10 years previously to where we are now, we've made a lot of progress. But I'm also a realist too. So I don't expect everyone just to do things because it's good. You know, I mean, I think what we offer is a no brainer, but there's a lot of business as usual out there. And so I think it's, you know, that's just the reality. So try to balance that. Well, and I think that consumers were as people, all of us, I'm not trying to label a person, but when we think of ourselves as consumers, when we admit that we're consuming a product, right? We're buying a product to then use that we're at least confronting part of the problem. Because in some cases, it's as simple as we want to buy the cheapest thing possible. And the cheapest thing possible (laughs) will never (laughs) actually have paid a fair price for the impact that they've had on the environment or on the people that built them. We essentially, in that case, are borrowing from the future using resources of the past, like a lot of fossil fuels, as a for example. We're not using resources from the present as with you know, those solar farms that you're working to fund. And so I think we have to get real with the fact that, you know, buying an outfit for $20 is probably something of the past and that we need to consider that we're bringing products into our home, be it the clothing we wear, the jewelry we buy, the cars we drive, all of these elements essentially have to be made for quality in a way that we might not presently be used to where we can actually instill things like a repair economy as opposed to something that's just a disposable economy. I know that Patagonia has done a lot for that in the apparel space, just with their worn wear, trying to destigmatize consumer practices because you go in to shop for an item that you might want at a Patagonia store and they'll have a used but in good repair item right next to the new one in the same category. And that in itself is a monumental shift. Now, you can criticize Patagonia for producing products from petrochemicals, but they do tend to last. They're producing products that can be repaired and passed down and then used again. And so ultimately, the overall carbon cost for something like that is going to be less than something that you wear four times on average and then ends up in the donation pile to Goodwill that then ends up in our landfill. And so I really think we all need to be thinking about the purchases we make, even though, and I want to say this clearly, it's bigger than a personal responsibility, this whole climate mess. We got here through building businesses using extractive principles that didn't take into account the environmental costs of the products that were being created from the plastic toys to the clothing, to the cars, to whatever. So again, I may be on a bit of a soapbox right now, but I know you and I are birds of a feather and I too consider the long-term cost of something that I want to buy for a promotional item for the brands that I'm supporting to the point where I chose to go with a local company using organic cotton to that was cut, stitched, and made here in the United States and printed with algae ink and the development of the Orlo Nutrition brand. So that was harder. It costed mm-hmm. a lot more. I mean, let's talk four to five times as much as it would have to just do a standard t-shirt. It certainly could be. I'm happy to get on the soapbox with you. I think 
what we're talking about too, and I just want to point out too, you know, I mean, like this carbon thing, I mean, I'm super passionate about it, but really carbon is just waste, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of plastic is waste. And so what you're talking about is a circular economy, which is mm -hmm. really the way we've lived up until really the industrial revolution. And so, you know, everything kind of goes back around. So we have to get rid of all of that. And beyond just the carbon externalities, negative externalities, you know, when you buy something that's just really cheap, there's human rights issues, there's additional issues, but the way people are just have been doing it in order to get to the lowest common denominator and commoditize some of these things. I think too, that I don't want to place blame on like America. This is an America issue. I think everyone has different cultures and they become used to different things. Like there really is something about the saying, you know, buy nice or buy twice. And, mm -hmm. and I think that people would be very surprised if they spent a little bit more each time and then ended up with something that lasted a lot longer, right? And you start looking at sustainability from the design standpoint. It's not designed just to be tossed away or single use. You know, these things like Patagonia is designed to be used a long time and they'll help repair them and keep them in circulation. Really, we have to get there because we have no choice. Well, I know that there are companies out there that are specializing now and finding new homes for your clothing, building them into new things, doing the same with your waste that may not be recycled in your local municipality. And sometimes that means that you have to make a small investment and buy a box for a credit that will ultimately hopefully end up back in your pocket in some way, but that there is a cost to being alive in this world. And so those are things that I personally champion. I think it's good to consider even the things that end up in your recycle bin as part of that waste footprint, because even the product that is recycled has to go through additional processing. There's a carbon cost to that. It has to be transported. There's a carbon cost to that. And a lot of the times what you put in that recycle bin simply isn't recycled. And so we need to, I think, confront that reality and just be honest with ourselves. If we can reduce the things that are actually exiting our home in any sort of a bin, we're doing better. And that could mean that you're doing things like donating to a local charity that you know actually puts the goods into the hands of people that need them, or even just putting the items that you're done with that you no longer want up for sale or in free cycle programs on your local Facebook group. I mean, these things are available to us. And so I would just encourage people to do a little research and think about the imprint that you want to leave. I also love what you're doing with Cool Perks. And I just think from an accountability standpoint, being able to give people something quantifiable to grab hold of, I know that was a lot of very hard work. And I think I may need to look at that a little bit more deeply myself and the business dealings that I have. I also have a question that relates though. Given that you're working with Amazon and given that they have different sustainability credentials that they recognize for products sold on their site, I wondered if you were actually working with them to create some certification that might be offered there since so many people shop on Amazon. It's a great question. The short answer is no. The long answer is we would love to. I think that they're a very large organization and like a lot of organizations, and I don't necessarily want to speak to them specifically, but they're not as integrated across teams as you would want them to be. And, you know, there, there's a lot of silos. 
And so I think that that could be a challenge with a lot of our clients. And I think the larger they get, the more that becomes a challenge. Although that being said, I was happy to see that they were bringing some aspect of it in as a huge industry leader in e-commerce. They have the ability to really make big change and lead there. So I would like to see them continue and continue to do more as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they're addressing a lot of their excess packaging concerns, but there are deep problems in the way things are run as status quo within, I think, any large organization that's steering a big ship. It doesn't turn as quickly. <laughs> I think that's a perfect analogy. And that's what we've seen time and time again. And so, you know, we always try to celebrate the little wins and bring what we can and help that way. And we love seeing when progress is made, for sure. Wow. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation. And before we wrap, I like to ask all of my guests a question. And sometimes this opens a new door and we could talk for another 10 minutes. But I would like to know if there's a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had, what might it be? And if you have one, you could ask and answer it. Or you could just share what your closing thoughts would be, the sorts of things that you want people to walk away remembering from our conversation today. Yeah, I think I talked like a lot of technical stuff about carbon and we do the same with plastic now too. But I think at the very core, and I think this is for anyone that works at any business, whether you're a business leader, you're a purchaser, or whether you're just a recipient because you're an employee, you know, it seems so seemingly innocuous, like promotional products, but yet they're such a waste driver. And what I just want to tell everyone is I think about this, and this is true too with our personal relationships. You have these interactions with people and they could be family, they could be friends, they could be your employer. And this goes always, these are different stakeholders in our life, in, in our world. Anytime we have an interaction with someone else, whether we're a brand having an interaction or someone individually, I look at it as if it's a bank. And so you can either make a deposit or take a withdrawal. And I just want people to think about what their interactions are. I mean, this could be writing a birthday card to someone, right? You know, and like, but if you're getting gifts that you don't want, speak up, like tell them. And if not, I mean, really, you just have the opportunity to get something better and to build better relationships with your employer. And then especially for business leaders with your employees, I mean, you're building a brand. And so I just think it's really, really important that you really think about all your stakeholders and your stakeholder relationship and just ask yourself, are you making a deposit or a withdrawal? And that's what I would leave with. Wow. Well, I think you've given us a lot to think about today, Seth. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Seth, for joining us today. As we wrap up today's show, I want to invite all of you to visit coolperks.com. That is C-O-O-L, cool, P-E-R-K x not p-e-r-k-s so coolperks.com and you can go ahead and review what they're doing specifically right there if you want to connect directly with him you can also review our show notes as i will have a link to his linkedin as well as other ways to connect with cool perks and the work that they're doing there as always you can also send me an email note to hello at caremorebebetter.com and I will be sure to respond and get any questions that you have to him as well. If you do visit our website, you can find the entire video as well as the audio transcripts for this interview. 
You can find links to shows that we may have mentioned in the past. And I also want to mention for anyone that's really wanting to do a deep dive into reducing their impact through the consumer products they buy for personal use, you can explore a couple of episodes that I have created in the past. One in which I interviewed Carolyn Preby, who is at the Center for Garment Manufacturing, Responsible Garment Manufacturing, as well as another few along those lines. I will include links with show notes. If you want to sign up for our email newsletter, you can be the first to receive notice of new episodes, as well as simple guide to help unleash your inner activist. It's completely free and comes with our first email. We only send one out a week, so I promise you will not be bombarded. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and we can be better. We can even reduce our waste and regenerate earth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. 